what is life? This question is often asked in the Bible. What is your life? And of course, one place in the scripture says that your life is but a vapor. It's just like that fast gone. Uh, we're told that life is like a shadow fleeing before the sun. Now, a lot of people don't believe life is short until they hit 60. Like When I hit 60, all of a sudden it, it dawned on me that life really is short. Sometimes it takes us a while to figure it out. Life is short. It's very brief. Because this life is not what it's about. This life is just a dressing rehearsal for heaven. This life is here for you to get to know God personally, live for him, and lead people to Christ, and for the day that you're going to be in heaven. You know, heaven is not I'm going to read it. I'm going to get around to myself. This is just my introduction. And I promise I won't preach that long. But to be honest with you, the older I, the longer I've lived, the more people I know are in heaven. I know so many people that are already there, that have already won the victory in Christ. And heaven to me is, a, is going to be a great day of family reunion because I have so many members of my family in heaven right now. And I'm so thankful that I know where they are. I, you know, so thankful I don't have to hope or guess where they are. But I know that they believed in Christ and lived for him, and I'm thankful for that. So many wonderful members of my family that are in heaven today, so thankful for it. If you will look in your Bible with me this morning and um, look in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know something, I'll tell you, I've been studying the Bible since I was a young man. After I got saved as a young man, I really began to take searching the Bible very serious and trying to figure out what the Bible teaches about every little thing. I wanted to understand God's plan for my life. I wanted to be sure I was on the right track, and I began to read and study the Bible. But there's so much of the Bible that I don't understand, and there's so much of the Bible that I will never understand in this life, so much of it I won't understand until I get to heaven, and then I'll understand it all. And then I'll know what every bit of it meant. But here in this life, you don't ever get to the point that you know everything. Do you know that? In basketball coaching, there's an old saying, it's what you learn after you think you know everything about basketball that matters. And it's that way in being Christian, too. It's what you learn after you thought you knew it all that can make a huge difference in your life. So every day as we search the scriptures, we seek to be reminded of truth that we've been told before because we need to be reminded of things over and over again when it comes to the scripture. But every day, if you will search the Bible, you will find there are things in it that you just see for the very first time, no matter how long you've been studying the Word of God. But the Bible is like digging for silver and gold. You know, there's a lot of wonderful truth below the surface that if you will search your Bible and pray over it, you will find new treasure every day. And to be honest with you, only the Holy Spirit can really reveal the Bible to us. The Holy Spirit, that's his job. He's our teacher. That's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He's our teacher. He instructs us, helps us understand this book. 
if I didn't have the Holy Spirit, it'd be like trying to read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. And I don't know Greek or Hebrew, believe me. But that's what the Bible would be like without the Holy Spirit. And when people seek to interpret the Scripture without the Holy Spirit, that's why we have so much diversity of beliefs about every little thing, because many people read the Bible in the flesh and not in the Spirit. If you really want to understand the Bible, and every morning you get up and you humble yourself before God and say, Oh God, I'm just a sinner. That's all I am. I deserve hell. Would you please cleanse me of all my sins? Help me confess every sin in my life and get it confessed before you. And then you read the Word of God. God will speak to you through His Word. And the Bible will open up like the Red Sea before Moses' rod. You will understand the Word of God. The Bible is precious. The one thing I would say to every young person in this room today, and to every person, period, is to learn to take the promises of the Bible, memorize them, and apply them to yourself. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is the 23rd Psalm because it has so many wonderful promises in it. You know, that God will provide for me, that God will uh, protect me, as he has, that he will give me a, a, a wonderful life with his presence, and that in the end I will be with the Lord forever. Th those are promises that I have claimed in my life. And God has always done what he promised in the 23rd Psalm for me. And I hope you also take every promise in this book and believe it. I want us to look at the Gospel of John for a few minutes this morning. And um, by the way, I want to just thank you so much for, for allowing me to be here. There's no greater honor than to preach the Bible. It's the greatest honor there is. It's great. I'd rather be a Baptist preacher than be President Trump. I'd rather be a Baptist preacher than be Nancy Pelosi. I'd rather be a Baptist preacher than any politician. My, I, 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 on a scale of one to ten, I, write, I, I rate politicians right behind uh, a crooked salesman. <laughs> so that's, how, that's where I rate politicians. But we're going to be talking about a politician today. His name is Pontius Pilate. Let's look down in the Word of God and... Uh, we're looking in uh, the Gospel of John in the 18th chapter. We're going to talk about the trial of Jesus this morning. <clears throat> Jesus was tried three times, not just once. He was tried by Caiaphas, the high priest. He was tried by Herod, and he was tried by Pontius Pilate. Theologians call it the trilogy, the three trials that Jesus endured to men. He was tried both by the Jews both by the Romans, and is even tried also by Herod, who was an Edomite. There he was with his crown of thorns in his robe that he wore, <clears throat> which was pure mockery, as the soldiers were mocking him, laughing at him. <clears throat> Every person today that rejects Christ is mocking and laughing at Jesus just as much as the people did the day that they did at the time when Jesus was put on trial and crucified him. Jesus endured the hatred of this world his whole life. When Jesus was born, there was an attempt to murder him before he ever grew up. 
if Satan already was trying to thwart the plan of God. On more than one occasion, Jesus escaped death from people who wanted to kill him. The Bible plainly says in one place that they wanted to take Jesus and throw him off a cliff. And they would have, but do you know why they couldn't? Because God wouldn't let them. On another occasion, they were going to take up stones, and they were going to stone him to death. Once again, God proved that Jesus Christ was immortal until he had finished the work that he had been given to do, which is, of course, the atoning work upon the cross. Jesus could die of no other method but crucifixion because crucifixion is the method that fulfills the prophecies of God. You know, when God speaks a prophecy, it's not just like he tells the future. It's like he commands this to happen. When he commands in the Old Testament prophets that Jesus is going to be beaten and bruised and hung on a cross, when it commands that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, that he would be a carpenter, all the things that Jesus did, these were God commanding, and thus it shall be so. Because you see, God is the director of everything from one end of eternity to the other. Let me ask you a question. Every day you have to live by a clock. You have to get up at a certain time, you know, you have to go to bed at a certain time. Your life is ruled by a clock. There's coming a day when time itself will not exist. There will just be eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. This world will end. And it will end only when God commands it to end as interpreted by his word. Jesus Christ was not just a carpenter. He was not just a peasant man living in Judea. He was not just a traveling itinerant preacher performing miracles, although he did a lot of that, didn't he? Jesus performed the miracles so that everybody would know who he was. They were proving everywhere he went that he was God and not just a man. When he would make a blind man see, he was saying, I'm God, and I created man's eyes, and even though a man's blind, if I command it, he will see. He was saying, I'm God, I made man's hearing. And when I tell a man and I give the command, hear, he hears because I am God. And if a man was lame and he made him walk, he was saying, I am God. I am God, and when I command this human body that is lame to be well, it will be well. That's who Jesus is. And the Gospel of John specifically talks, even at the very beginning of the Gospel, about that he was God, and without anything was not made that was made except by Jesus Christ. This morning, I have three questions for you today. First of all, what are you going to do with God? Oh, so you say, well, that God stuff, I don't believe any of that. I, I, go, to, I go to high school. And my, my high school professor already told me that man started out as slime in the ocean, finally graduated into being a monkey, and that I'm the Ph.D. of evolution. Oh, I, I, this God stuff, I don't buy any of that. Let me ask you a few questions this morning. You're 15, 16 years old, and you already know more than your parents, grandparents, and their parents before them. 
Let me say something to you. Think about this world you live in and ask yourself this question. When you look at condensation, you know water in three forms, condensation, evaporation, liquid form, and you see water evaporate, go into the sky, and at a certain temperature, it falls back to the ground as rain. You see that happen. Do you think that is an accident? Let me ask you another question. You live in a world that is tilted on an axis so precise that if you shifted our axis of the earth that you're on, just a small degree, just a very small degree, we would not have our seasons. Let me ask you again. Is that an accident or is that Almighty God? Did you know that if there were 10% less water in the oceans, that the earth would be a wasteland desert? How did that right amount of water wind up in the ocean? Oh, evolution had to be. No, it was God. You know, the earth is the exact right distance from the sun. We have nine planets in our solar system and our, and our galaxy. Each of them are a wasteland. They're worthless. There's nothing on them. You know why? We know that from what little we know about astronomy. We don't know that much. Earth, the only place, situated just the right distance from the sun. If you moved the earth just a small amount closer, we'd be burnt up. If you moved it back a little ways, we'd all be freezing to death. Who keeps the earth rotating around the sun? Who keeps the earth in place in space? Why doesn't the earth just fly off into outer space like the old TV show, Lost in Space? The reason is God. Now, if you do not believe in God, the Bible never wastes, wastes people's time when it comes to arguing about God. The Bible just says God exists. It doesn't argue with people about it. Because the Bible says if you're so foolish that you don't believe in God, the Bible calls you a very foolish individual if you don't believe in God. What are you going to do with God? Let me ask you, what are you going to do with the Bible? Somebody say, oh, the Bible. Now, here we go again. You think that your Bible's better than the Koran. You think your Bible's better than the writings of Confucius and Buddha. Oh, how can you think such a thing? You are so narrow-minded to believe that. You're so narrow-minded to believe that all religions aren't the same. Yeah, I am narrow-minded because I know this Bible's true. And I can prove it every way possible, scientifically, archaeologically, historically, every way you want to take this book and, and dissect it, I can prove to you this Bible is the Word of God. Let me give you a couple examples of how the Bible has always been ahead of science. In the day when the world believed, when the Greeks believed that the earth was held up by pillars, I mean, the world was held up by Atlas, and the Egyptians believed the world was held up by pillars. The Bible says in Isaiah, he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Now, how did he know that? How did the Bible, how did the writer of the Bible know that the earth is hanging out in space in nothing? The Bible also says he sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Men believed the Bible was flat up until the time of Columbus. Columbus believed, he really did, he, Columbus was very afraid. He wasn't afraid of sea monsters. He was afraid that when he got to a certain point that the earth was flat and he was going to, 
there he was going to be gone. How does the, how does the, how does the writer in the, God, in the Bible say the truth about science? Because the Bible is an inspired book. Written by God, penned for man, that you might know the way to go to heaven and how to live your life. It's here for you to believe in. Let me ask you, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And this is a decision that, that Pilate asked the people this day. I'm just going to read a, a, a couple of verses here. And let's look now in the Gospel of John in the 18th chapter. And in the, in the um, let's go ahead and go to the 19th verse. And, uh, and Pilate sought to release, release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. For he makes himself a king to speak against Caesar. And when Pilate heard therefore that saying, he brought Jesus forth and set him down in the judgment seat in the place, which is called in the pavement in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And at about the sixth hour, he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. But Caesar. Then he delivered he them, therefore unto them, to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And one of the other gospel, gospel writers says, Pilate asked the people, What shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? What will I do with this man? Every day you live, you must ask yourself this question. What am I going to do with Jesus the Christ? And what am I going to do with the Holy Spirit? And what am I going to do with God? And what am I going to do with this book? Every day of your life, you must ask yourself this question. What will I do with him? Will I accept him into my life or will I reject him and say crucify him? And will I say lead him away? I don't want anything to do with him. Every one of us in our lives, every day we make this decision what shall I do with Jesus? Over and over again, every day, I decide, am I going to live for this world or am I going to live for Jesus this very day? Each day I get up and I try to start every morning with prayer. I'm going to tell you something will change your life. If every day that you live the rest of your life, the first person you talk to is God. And you spend a few minutes alone with God every day. And you confess your sins, you repent of your sins, and you let the Holy Spirit fill you. It will change your life. It will make you a complete different person than if you live in the flesh. If every day you'll spend time contemplating upon the truths of this book and allow the Holy Spirit to fill your life, it will change you. But every day is the same. What am I going to do with Jesus this very day? What am I going to do with Jesus today? Is he going to be to me just somebody I met one time in the past? Or is he going to be real in my life this very day? Is he going to be the Lord of my life today? You know, Pilate was the ultimate politician. We live in a politically correct world. Heaven help you if you say anything is not politically correct. Amen? Heaven help you if you ever did anything that's not politically correct when you were a kid. 
because there's going to be some committee, going to be some investigation to see if you are politically correct every day of your life. Amen? But you see, Pilate was one of those people. He was very much interested in political correctness because the only thing that mattered to Pilate was his job. Being able to keep his job, his position, his political future, these were the things that mattered to Pilate. You know what? The only thing that really matters is whether America returns to God. If my people who are called by name, my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, confess their sins, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. That's what matters. Trump cannot make America great, nor can Chucky Schumer or Nancy Pelosi. None of them can make America great. Only God can make America great again. Only if we have another revival in this country than what we had for so many years in this country where people were falling on their face before God, people were being saved. I can take you back in this state here in Oklahoma, decade after decade, where the churches were full of people and where people were being saved every week of the year. And revival was taking place in America, and the people were repenting of their sins. And it affected the life, their individual life. It healed their home. It healed their family. How many of you were raised in a Christian home? Just raise your hand if you were. Be proud of it. You had a mother and daddy that said, this is God's word, and this is the final authority. Aren't you glad that you were raised in a home where this book was the word of God. Oh, I tell you, I, I never forget the teachings of my mother. But the greatest favor she had ever did me was she taught me to believe in God and believe in this book. It's the greatest favor she ever did me. And it had an impact on my life every day was her belief in this book. And I remember my mom used to say, I love God, but she said, I fear God's power. And I want to tell you right now, this morning, today, I love God, but I also fear God. I hope you do too. I hope you realize he controls everything. He determines each day whether you live or not. He determines where you'll spend eternity, and only God. He alone is sovereign. There are things that God alone determines. No one is stronger than God. No one has an arm like God. Let me say to you this morning, what are you doing every day with Jesus Christ? You know, I want to think just for a few moments about the crucifixion. I know we're getting close to Easter. When we think about Easter, we usually think about the resurrection of Christ and how victorious he was a day that, the, that death was defeated. And, and I've been to where Jesus was laid. I've been to that tomb. And I promise you, that tomb is empty today as the day it was when he walked out of it. It's still empty. And I also promise you that Muhammad is still in his grave. And Buddha is still in his grave. Confucius is still in his grave. All the fake prophets that have been born that Satan has sent to deceive men, they're still in their grave. But Jesus is not.
And I can tell you where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of God. And he is the one who has the power to forgive sin, nobody else. I don't need a preacher to pronounce me forgiven or a pope or anybody else because Jesus is the authority. And when he says, I forgive you of your sins, you are forgiven forever and ever and ever. You're forgiven. Let me say to you this morning, is I want to talk just for a couple of minutes. I, I'm going to check my timepiece here. I don't want to. I don't want to cause you to burn your 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 lunch. I don't want to cause you to miss your restaurant. I know how those restaurants are. Man, if you get there five minutes late, it's over. Amen. Whichever your favorite restaurant is, if you get there a few minutes late, boy, the, the Church of Christ are already there. The Methodists are already there. Episcopalians, everybody's already there. And are you in trouble, right? I'm just kidding. I used to have a preacher friend who had a sign on his wall saying, Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff and nudge me when I've said enough. And I don't believe in three and four hour sermons, believe me. But I want to think just for a few moments about Christ suffering on, on the cross. Jesus was humiliated and laughed at and scoffed at. He was beaten and he was bruised before he ever went to the cross. He had a, they had put a crown of thorns on his head and they had laughed at him and mocked him, made fun of him. And they had beaten him and they had whipped him with a whip. And he was weak and wounded already. And then, of course, they took him to the cross and there they nailed him on a cross and they put nails in his hands. They put a spike through his feet. And eventually they would take a spear and cast it into his side. And for the hours that he hung upon the cross... I want you to see what humility really is. Oh, I'm a humble person. Humility is when you give up yourself and your will completely to God. And you don't even have a will anymore. That's humility. Humility is when you care about other people and not yourself. We live in a day in America where people have forgotten what this book teaches about humility. That humbling ourselves and doing what God's Word teaches instead of doing our own thing. But think for just a moment about the humility of Jesus as the only sinless man who ever lived humbles himself to God and says, I'll go on that and hang on that cross and I will be a payment for man's sin and I'll do everything you ask me to do. I'm just humbling myself. Thy will be done. And that's what the Christian life is, friends. The Christian life is complete surrender to God. Completely humbling yourself and saying, God, whatever your will is my will. And then the other thing I want to think to you, think for just a moment about Jesus on the cross. And I want you to think about the great love that it took to do what God did in becoming a man and allowing himself to be humiliated by his creation that he created allow himself to go through all that no wonder the bible says that here is love not that we love god but that he loved us you know my love for god is very small my love for god is very very small your love for god is very very small but his love 
cannot be measured. His love is beyond comprehension. That God would love me, a sinner. That God would love man at all. Why does God love us? Let me, let me ask this question of you. Those, for those of you who are philosophical people, you want to understand, why would God love man? Well, because he made us, that's why. He created man. Out of his sovereign, sovereign will, he created man for one reason, to fellowship with him. God wanted us to love him. Now, it may seem strange to you. It may seem like something you'll never be able to understand. But there are a lot of things you're never going to comprehend when you're finite mind and my finite mind. I don't have to comprehend it. I just have to know it's true and that God loves me so much that every day he wants me to let him into my life. Think about the great love of God, the great humility of God, and think about the great power of God in being able to save you and me. You know, I have a sinful nature that makes me love this world. My flesh, my, when I got saved, God changed the person inside me. He, saved, he changed my soul. My spirit was changed. And I had a new nature, a nature that wants to do what's right, that wants to love God, all those things. But I still have this flesh that still wants to sin. And every day... My, my flesh and my spirit go to war every day. So does yours. And not only that, but I have an enemy, Satan, who every day uses my flesh against me, uses my sinful desires against me, and tries to destroy my life. <clears throat> I'm almost finished this morning. I, I, I appreciate your patience with me this morning as I talk to you about eternal things. But you know what? In this room today, there are people who are going to make a decision for Jesus or against Jesus. They're going to say they're going to believe in him and they're going to trust in him or they're going to say, away with this man and crucify him, get him out of my life. And I'm going to tell you something. As I, I'm going to be preaching this next month. Starting this next year, I'll be preaching at the homeless shelter downtown at the mission there. You talk about people who are in trouble. Do you know in Oklahoma City every day? All over Oklahoma City, there are empty houses. There are ex-HUD houses that the government won't fix them up, and nobody, the owner won't fix them up, and they're just sitting there empty. They look like nobody's living there. But there's somebody living there. It's a homeless person. And they sleep in those old homes, in those broken down homes. They don't have water, electricity. And like people are raising from the dead in the mornings, they all come out from those houses. A lot of them take to the streets and begin to beg for money. I don't ever see one of those people and look down my nose at them and think, boy, I'm glad I'm smarter than they were. No. I look at those people and I think, before the grace of God, there go I. Amen? I'd be one of them. Alcohol or drugs or something would have put me exactly where they are. When you turn your back on God, the way of the sinner is hard. I'm going to be preaching in some jails and prisons this year. And I promise you, some of those men will be people who committed murder, cold-blooded murder. And I promise you, 
Were it not for the grace of God, I could be one of those men sitting in prison this morning. I'm no better than they are. It's grace, grace. So before you turn your back on God and say, go let crucify Jesus, get him out of my life, just remember the difference he will make in your life here, your life now. Not just eternity, but now. No young person is safe without grace. No young person is safe from drugs, from meth and coke and CBD. You know, I'm so sick of CBD. In Oklahoma City, we have a CBD store every corner. The drug that we know is the drug that retards the brains of children. It's a drug that is very addictive and damages people's lives and gets them on the road to everything else. Now, it's called, now on the radio, they're advertising it. It cures everything from ingrown toenails to migraines now, according to them. Oh, if you just had some CBD products, if you just knew what, how wonderful cannabis is, but you see, it's all about money, money. The truth is, is that unless a person has Christ, no young person is safe in Davis because of the drugs and the alcohol here. No, nobody's safe. Satan wants to destroy them before they ever get started out in life. And that's why we all rejoice so much when we see a young person make that decision to trust in the Lord with all their heart, lean not upon their un understanding, but acknowledge him in all things and let him direct their paths in life. But the most important thing to remember is this. Not only does Christ keep us along life's journey and help us to live the right the way we should and take care of, he takes care of us provides for us all of our life but in the end as the bible says in the 23rd psalm i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever and ever eternity is more real than this room Did you know that i promise you my friend upon the teaching of this book that people in heaven would not come back here no matter what you offer them. You know why? Because once you're with Jesus, you never want to come back to this world ever again. They have all these books that have been written. If you notice all the books that I, I'm in the book business have been for many years, all these books that are written that one person says, well, I died, I went to heaven for 30 minutes, I came back, and I want, to know, want you to know that heaven's real. Another person says, oh, I went to hell for 30 minutes, and I made it back, and I want you to know that hell is definitely real. I want you to know the truth, friends. This book is the only book that unveils eternity and tells it like it is. I, put my, I don't put my trust in any of those people who claim after-death experiences. I don't know if they're telling the truth or if they just, you know, making it all up. I have no clue. But I do know this. What this Bible says about eternity is exactly true. And this Bible tells me that there is a place called heaven where no tear will ever stain the streets of that city, where no one will ever be sick again or get old again or die again or have any of the problems that we have in this world. There will be no depression in heaven. There will be no, you won't need a psychiatrist in heaven, I'll promise you. You don't need one here either, really. But you know, They tell you you do, but you really don't. 
What most people call, there, I'm not saying there aren't some people who actually do have mental problems. 99% of the people who go to a psychiatrist, the real problem is they don't know the author of this book. And that's why they're so discouraged and depressed and beaten down by Satan. They used to go to preachers for counseling. Now they go to the psychiatrist and pay him money. Well, I know what I think about it. I call Sigmund Freud Sigmund Fraud. And I believe this book right here is the answer for people's lives. Some people go to marriage counselors. There's nothing wrong with marriage counselors. There's a place for that. Some people's marriage is so much on the rocks. Unless they turn their life over to Christ and get saved and get really saved and quit pretending they're saved when they're not, their marriage is going to crumble into ashes. That's true. But the answer for your marriage is in this book. Men, love your wives as you love your own flesh. And women, obey your husband as unto the Lord. That's the answer for marriage. Amen? Isn't that simple? Why do we have to make things so complicated? Why do we have to write books like, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus or something? Why do we have to make it so complicated? Just do what the good book says. Amen? And if you want to talk about how to live your life and how to be happy, you don't have to read all these books that have been written to tell you how to be happy. You just need to listen to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells you what true happiness is. As the singer comes this morning, we have a verse invitation. I uh, appreciate so much your attention. I haven't seen anybody asleep yet. I tell you what, I, I, that's pretty good for me, 100%. Nobody asleep, that's, that's a really good percentage for me. You people must believe this book is true. That's why you're still awake. So I'll stand this morning in verse invitation. You're here this morning, and uh, there are things in your life that shouldn't be there. They're hidden from everybody. In, in your, in, maybe even your family doesn't know about them. Maybe your friends don't know what you're doing. But that doesn't change the fact that you're hurting yourself and that you need to confess your sins to the Lord, whatever it might be. Maybe your problem is simply you're not really doing something for the Lord when you could be doing something. Everybody in this church should have a ministry some way. You know, I, I know a preacher that his ministry is, he's getting old now and can't get out like he used to. But he has people that he calls on the phone every day and encourages them for the Lord. And if they need somebody to talk to, he's there for them. And that, there, there are many things we can do. It's not the big things that's ma that matters. It's the little things we do for people that matter. I encourage every one of you to have a ministry of some kind. When I was preaching at Maysville for several months we had some ladies over there in the rest home and you know they were pretty much bedfast and I told them we have several young kids in this church that I know are not Christians and I said will you will you just pray for these kids we had people praying for lost children lost young people in the church several of those kids were saved so right before I left there is serving as kind of an interim and some of them after I left under the new pastor they have. But what you see is this truth, that when you pray for somebody, the Holy Spirit gets involved. When you pray for somebody, it's not just you trying to reach them for Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who has to convince them of their sin and the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. So have a ministry. Would you find something to do? Maybe you just want to come out this morning and say, Oh, God. I've not been doing anything. I've not been using my time. 
I've not been submitting myself to you. As we sing the invitation this morning.